because you have Prehab 101, right? That's your that's your platform yeah. as of right now. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Yeah, so I, mean, I guess got to back up a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. So Prehab is my my business, my company. Mm-hmm. It's my teaching company. Okay, that um, I travel and I teach seminars on injury management, injury mitigation yeah. um, to other to coaches and to clinicians. So okay. how can we kind of best mitigate injuries kind of, and then how do we take a client who maybe is dealing with an injury or pain and help them mm-hmm. work back forward? So by trade, I am a chiropractor. Um, sure. I own a practice here in Orlando, Florida. And I started doing the social media thing yeah. back in like 20, 2017 or so okay 2016 um built built up the following with that definitely quite a bit did. over yeah. the first yeah over the first like year and a half and then um started getting some people asking me about potentially teaching on um, the things that i do and the mm-hmm. way that i think yeah and so uh i got you know i wanted to jump on that opportunity because i've always loved teaching that's oh, just yeah. a big passion of mine of course um and so from there, taught my first course in like 2017, nice. um, like late August. And I've just kind of continually evolved it mm-hmm. from from there um, to the point it looks nothing like how it used to. And yeah. know, I'm teaching all, um, it's a totally different thing now. But um, Did yeah, you ha- that's, that's kind of how it's been going. Just um, yeah. gradual progression over time. Did you have to figure out how to kind of like repackage the information? Because I think... Nowadays, when people try to share, you know, self-therapy techniques or self-rehab, it's kind of tough to put it in a way that people can understand, you know? So I'm sure that was kind of your your step-by-step progression as the years passed, you know, trying to figure out how to to give it to people and, and so they can consume it and take it and do something with it, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I've, the way I've always thought about it is Mm -hmm. I update the content of what I teach yeah. as the audience that I'm speaking to updates as well. Yeah. Um, and so over time, the I think just like the knowledge level of the audience has really grown substantially. And so therefore, what I'm teaching has also become um, more complex. Sure. And where like when I was first teaching and I'd like separate what I was teaching on social media versus what I'm teaching in person. Um, Cause like back in like 2017, when I was teaching in person, it was really like a lot of exercise progressions, much like what you would see on my social media nowadays, sure. which is like, Hey, you know, you got issues here. Then like maybe try these three different kind of regression yeah, options with it and scale forward. Yeah. Nowadays, I think, there's been so much exposure to that sort of information, both yeah. through what I've put out on social media as well as others. Um, now I'm teaching much more thought process and interesting. Like, how did I come to this conclusion? How do you prescribe that? How do you put that into an overall plan? Yeah. How do you match that with like the patient's psychology and behavioral patterns? You know, really, how do you fit this to the person in front of you? Interesting. Um, which is something that doesn't, I don't really talk at, I guess I talk about it in like my captions of my posts on social media. Yeah, but, but I, I guess you can't I like specifically make videos on. Yeah, you can't, I guess you can't do that just because that falls into like medical advice. And, you know, I guess that's well, the, I think the more, pitfall. More so it's just really, more so I think it's really hard to get the nuance of it all. Oh, um, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Is in, in a 
limited platform um like that's that true. where you do need something a little more long form like a podcast like this you know yeah i we can discuss those things or you know a long form 20 minute youtube video you can discuss those things but you know sure, like instagram sure. stuff on a slide carousel it's not really gonna that's a tough um, one allow you a lot of that <laughs> you can um, so, you can try <laughs> yeah but i mean you're right, right though it's it's the medium is is it's tough for that you know so but i, I gotta tell you though man like your posts are pretty amazing you know, I, I know well, I you say that. it's tough, but but looking through them, you tackle all these. I mean, naturally, you've tackled everything. You've gone through all different forms of dysfunction and how to deal with them. And I like your progression. You know, the exercises are basic. They're simple to do, simple to follow, and you can kind of reason your way through them, you know. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Tailoring it to a specific person's needs is most definitely a difficult thing to to translate, you know? So, yeah. 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 So, so social media is kind of, is the way I think of it is, mm -hmm. Hey, here's a bunch of options. And I try, I really try hard to avoid like the five best exercises for back pain. Cause I think that's total BS. That's, I don't think that, that I was going to ask you about that though, because that really like, that's why you have a different format because that really is how people approach things right now you know yeah. a lot of it i think maybe that's how it was in the beginning and maybe that's kind of phasing out a little bit with with your pro your progressions your approach to it because so many in the in that industry do the top five whatever for back pain or that kind of thing it's everywhere right and so i mean this gets into i guess how i even think about rehab in general mm -hmm. which is you have an end goal something that pain is limiting you from doing that okay. you want to be able to do. So you have a certain goal. Um, True. And my job as a clinician is to identify where you are currently at functionally and help push you towards where you want to go. Okay. And so from that, I view it as like, okay, let's just stay as close to your goal as possible. We don't need to, I don't really adhere to like a corrective model where I view you having all these dysfunctions that are stopping you from getting over there. I view it more as your body has become sensitive to the loads and forces going through your body in this activity over here. And right now you can't tolerate that. So, you know, just like you can't, you know, you can't squat 200 pounds before you squat 100 pounds, mm -hmm. at least most of us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can't, right. Dr. Jake. What the hell? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, whenever you are dealing with pain, it's like, well, okay, you normally squat 200 pounds and mm -hmm. now your back hurts. And, but you could squat, you can squat 100 and your back doesn't hurt with that. Well, somewhere in between there, there's a line mm -hmm. that we cross over and it's a threshold. Yeah. Well, I don't need to regress you all the way back to bird dogs and cat cows and all this other stuff and say, like, I'm trying to solve this imaginary dysfunction that I've created. That's, oh, wow. you know, that basically I've just, I've, I'm writing the story as to why you can't go over here. Huh. You can, the evidence in front of me says you can squat a hundred pounds and it's the same forces being applied to your body between 200 and 100, it's just a different magnitude. Wow. And so we're stressing all the same stuff. And so if there's a force going through your body at 200 that is causing you pain, mm -hmm. then it was obvious that it was obviously stressing the right thing <laughs> to be able to actually cause that. Yeah. So likewise, stressing, you know, 
that didn't change with a hundred pounds. It just changed the magnitude of it. It's still stressing the same stuff. So why don't we just use a hundred pounds, which is within your threshold and mm -hmm. gradually dial that forward. So, and, so to clarify, it's you're taking a look at the loaded movement and you're simply kind of correcting things within that movement. Am, am I, am I thinking along the lines that you're saying? Because as, yeah, yeah, as best as possible. Okay. I mean, I, I try to, I start trying to steer away from the word of uh, correct. Cause I don't think we're correcting a whole lot. I agree. I think the bodies become sensitive that's, and you know, it's like, that's amazing. If you, um, if you kick the coffee table and yeah. your shin hurts for a while, it hurts to touch it too doesn't mm -hmm. mean there's anything wrong with doesn't mean it might even hurt to like take a step because wow. the you know the muscles over the top of that bone are contracting and you know there's the you know the nerves there are a little more sensitive in that sense sure um so it doesn't mean you're walking wrong it just means it's sensitive yeah and like that's a big part of the clinical picture which is trying to identify is there actually something here that has you know become damaged that we need mm -hmm. to let heal you know, oh, wow. or are we dealing with more of a situation of, you know, nothing's really broken or torn, but it is sensitive. It's gotten overloaded. It's kind of like um, yeah. doms, but on a very extreme scale. And we need to basically kind of pull you back a little bit and let you go forward. Uh, but it's uh, most of the things that we hear about in terms of like, well, you're in pain because you have tight muscles or mm -hmm. you have, you know, your core is not stable enough or you're weak here or something like that. Like that kind of stuff isn't really true. We don't have a lot of evidence for that. Oh, wow. Um, so okay. in terms of, so then pulling all that back to kind of where we started, yeah, five best exercises for back pain, right? Um, a it, lot of those kind of like five best exercises really end up being okay, here's stuff that's actually just going to give you some short-term pain relief. Mm. Like, hey, move this way and you feel better. And so our minds kind of go towards, well, if it makes me feel better immediately, then it must be solving must something. must be good. I gotcha. Well, I can rub my shin after I bump it on the coffee table and it feels better. It doesn't mean it actually solved anything under sure. the surface. Wow. But it did make me feel better and we, sh like, great, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um. But eventually, but like at the end of the day, time is, and you need to quit kicking the coffee table if you want that to get better. Wow. So the way I think about rehab is like, yeah, those things are great. We can use those things, but yeah. they're not the, they're not the be all end all. And so my social media content has become, all right, you have, you get pain, back pain when you're squatting. Here are maybe five scaled back versions of the squat that you might be able to use as an entry point to actually get yourself going forward again, because wow. the most direct path to squatting 200 pounds again mm -hmm. is squatting. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> doing, and a dead, doing a dead bug, we're kind of like, okay, let's do dead bugs for three weeks and then just, I guess, just close our eyes and pray that, <laughs> that all of a sudden the squat, squat feels better. Yeah. Right? I want to have a litmus test along the whole way. Um, so my content's really become about giving people options for an entry point um and that they can do and yeah. then it's kind of up to that person to decide hey am i like am i limited in that way is that something that causes me pain is yeah. that you know it does does this apply you know i'm just providing kind of a bunch of options there um, whether it applies or not i can't tell you because well i don't know you mm -hmm. and and the fascinating thing too and i think what makes what you do even more amazing is is because it's 
I think it's tough to sell that message because people want like this special thing they have to do, right? Like the mm-hmm. the 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 little golden egg of information that's going to change everything for them. So telling yeah. them to simply like, no, you can do a squat, you just have to scale it properly. It, it's funny. I don't think people would be willing to do that because it makes perfect sense, and it it most certainly is the thing to do. But like, it doesn't sound like this super special, amazing thing, you know. Which yeah, it, it doesn't fit the story as well. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't fit the narrative. Not, yeah, it doesn't fit. The, yeah, it doesn't fit the narrative as well. Now, I do think because my practice very much centers around like active individuals who are trying to get back to these sort of goals. Sure. You know, once you really explain it to someone then and you under and you explain the process it the people pick up on it pretty quickly like oh yeah that does make sense okay i could squat lighter and kind of go forward but there there's you know there can be a healthy dose of skepticism there sure um especially depending on what they've been told prior you know they've been to three other providers who have all you know told them that yeah you know i don't think your left glute is activating properly and that's causing your right big toe and foot (laughs) to collapse inwards which is causing that shift over to the right and that eventually is what twisted the bar and hey that's why your back got injured yeah we need to fix all these things or else you're never getting better or it's just going to happen again Mm -hmm. like there's so there's such a train of logic that if any of it falls if any piece of it falls apart the whole thing is off wow right so it, so, and that's that's extreme, but it, I've I've heard it. <laughs> um, yeah, and you're yeah. fixing you're fixing the all aspects of the body within these scaled movements. So yeah, it, it makes it. I mean, yeah. If if back to your point about the squat, if you scale it back and you give different variations of it, you are tackling all these issues, but you're bringing them together and and creating this dynamic system of movement from which then you can maybe pick apart and and do certain things within it you know so yeah which is which is different logic nowadays you know I think I think I still do you know I was I was in therapy the other day and I was I was doing very discreet exercises you know things that were good I felt but you know like like a a dead bug or like a a, you know a, a bird dog that kind of thing so mm-hmm. it's still done. I think it's 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 still very much in in the rhetoric of of therapy, you know. Sure. So. Oh yeah, it, it absolutely is. And don't get me wrong; those things can have their place. Mm-hmm. You know, they really can. If we take for like, all right, staying with our example, squat two hundred pounds. That's yeah. your end goal. That's what's not tolerable. You know, you might be dealing with acute back pain mm-hmm. that a body weight squat is not tolerable. And so putting a, even an empty bar on your back is not going to be tolerable either. Yeah. And so we then have to think, okay, well, if they you can't squat even your body weight right now, maybe that position and the movement that's happening there is not tolerable to you. Maybe we have to go back a step further than that. Okay. And So you keep breaking that's it apart. Where, yeah, and that's yeah. where we can kind of pick it apart into more of like, what are the components of it? Well, there's hip flexion there. There's sure. a little bit of forward lean there. We are loading the spinal extensors there. So maybe that so maybe that bird dog is going to be useful in that sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, you know, whenever I'm doing my exam with someone, we might have them brace just on the table and we're like, and that causes them some pain. And so, yeah, you know, the normal forces that they're creating, that intra-abdominal pressure that they're creating might be, they might be sensitive to that force. And so 
when I see that, I'm like, well, maybe the dead bug actually is a good option because it's going to create a similar force that they're sensitive to. And we can kind of build their tolerance slightly through that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to look at these things all in silos because we could certainly provide that person with a scaled dead bug where, you know, just have them tap their heels to the ground or something. That's perfect. Um, And also have them do a goblet squat. Like we can have them do both. Yeah. And like you, so you have your squat litmus test that you're gradually kind of inching forward back towards your goal. True. And you have these other things that you're utilizing as well. Um, and all that kind of has to go into a comprehensive plan that you yeah. give somebody. And that falls into the realm of just coaches and personal trainers too, you know, oh, yeah. because, because I really, I think what what's becoming more and more evident, especially to me and, you know, other trainers I talk to is that this is the name of the game, this de- managing pain and managing specific movement limitations that people have. So it's, it's, it's funny how th- this stuff is what new personal trainers need to understand or people who are just getting into it. You know, it really is going to be about sort of a, a rehab aspect to how you train people, you know? So, yeah, there's, I mean, people are going to, <laughs> this is always a big kind of contentious thing is, you know, should trainers and coaches be working with clients in pain and all that? It's yeah, obviously, what do you think? Is, well, you know, can we treat, do that? <laughs> are we allowed well, to? I, yeah, so this is why it's kind of a contentious topic. Yeah. Um, it should coaches and um, and trainers approach a client with the goal of treating their pain? No, that's okay. not within their scope of practice. Okay. We would be blind to assume that a coach or trainer is not going to work with a client that has pain or that one of your clients is never going to experience pain and that you might have to modify their training to work around that. So it's really like figuring out kind of where that line is. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was actually just kind of like developing a lecture today on this. I've been thinking about it. It was like working around pain versus working through pain. Oh, and wow. like my goal as a clinician is really, I tend to be biased towards helping people work through pain. So like I'm taking that person with the empty squat and saying, Hey, here's your litmus test. Let's push on that and figure out where your tolerance is. Okay. You know, as a coach, your client probably didn't come to you because they had acute back pain and are looking for that to go away. That's not your role. No, they, you may have been working with that client prior. They are now experiencing back pain, but they're still coming to you for the workout. Yeah, for the and fitness aspect. For the fitness aspect, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you must understand the concepts of pain and you know how pain works and mm-hmm. all this stuff. But your goal pro- shouldn't be necessarily trying to, to fix them. Fix that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, get okay. that your goals is should primarily be centered more so around, all right, this client can't squat. They're here for the fitness aspect. What other things could we do? Could like maybe your gym has access to a belt squat. Okay. And so you can take the axial loading off of them and you're like, Hey, we're going to blast your quads and we're going to get you a good workout today while also, you know, sparing your back a little bit yeah and you know that's just good load management now we're keeping this you're keeping this client moving you're keeping mm-hmm. them working hard you're 
reducing the burden of their injury, that psychological burden, because Mm -hmm. it's not taking this aspect of their life away from them. And, you know, all these things are good for injury recovery. Okay. On top of that, Hey, if if on top of that, you said, Hey, let's see how your squats doing. Let's see how that squat looks today. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's fine. Um, I, but I wouldn't, I don't think that we should be uh, coaches should be approaching it as like, okay, like you have back pain. I'm going going to do do this, this this, and this, and we're going to try and make your back pain go away. Yeah. That's crossing a little more into medical side of things. That's a little out of scope. That makes sense. And I like what you said about the psychological aspect. It, It seems more appropriate for a coach to simply just mitigate the risk. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to specifically tackling the issue, you know, you, you just give them exercises so that they are they are comfortable to a, to a certain extent within the movement. You know, it's not comfortable because they're working mm-hmm. out and, and that kind of thing, but they're not at risk. So right that and that's something good for me to know because I was sitting there thinking like, oh, you know, let's we'll do general stuff. We'll try these and try to help your pain a little bit. But, you know, it's no to your point. It makes a hell of a lot more sense to stay within the scope of you know working on the psychological side and just getting them to do the workout since that is your job anyway you know yeah and so. you know if you're a well-versed if you're you're a coach who's very well-versed in up, being up to date with the evidence around pain mm-hmm. and injury and all that then you can have those conversations yeah now you can't you can't do a medical exam and tell them what you think is going on um or if they if there's anything serious going on there, like but that's where it's good to have maybe a physio or Cairo on you know, kind of in your referral network that you can refer out to to double check with them and have that client get that evaluation. Yeah. Um and I and I'm realizing so we, like we're all working together here. Yeah. And I'm realizing too that uh I think people have I, you know, the, the understanding of what chiropractors do has kind of changed in my mind because a lot of times we think of them as maybe like quick fix doctors when in reality, from what I'm hearing from people going to chiropractors and everything, they are becoming very much more along the lines of long-term change and progression through your lifestyle, you know, because I, I me and my limited understanding, I hear you know, adjustments and they're going to crack my back and I go, oh, well, you know, that's all they do? Like, that's my thinking. And then people are coming to me and saying, no, they, this is, this is definitely a very real specific form of therapy that has implications for like long-term use, you know? So, yeah, I mean, there's, it's definitely can be more than the adjustment. There's, yeah, I mean, I would be lying if I said that there was not still a very large portion of the, but it um, works. Profession it's, that, that does that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Adjusting people. Yeah. Um, but it, um, like myself in my practice, I don't really adjust too much these days. Uh, yeah, I focused much more on identifying movements and sensitivities and helping people move forward that way. Sure. Um, and you know, and we can do that and that's, you know, that's, you know, what I feel good evidence-based practices. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing nowadays is that different forms of therapy are kind of coming into play whenever chiropractors do their thing and they're doing a little bit about a little bit like what you're doing is they're looking at the sensitivity aspect and trying to just improve the movement in general as opposed to like what you said you're you're going away from the adjustment side of it even though it feels great to get my back cracked like holy cow oh, what yeah. an amazing feeling yeah, no, jesus yeah and that's that's wonderful like yeah you like i said it, this is where i think of um 
like be complementary care, not alternative care mm -hmm. where like complementary care, you know, as an, speaking of like just an adjustment, complementary meaning you're doing it as a complement to the things that need to be done. Okay. Alternative meaning you are doing it as in place of the things that need to be done. Oh, and when you start to use it as an alternative, that is, Hey, this is you're misaligned and we need to realign you and that's going to get you better. Wow. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, that's the, no better than telling somebody that like tight pecs are causing their shoulder pain or, you know, their glutes don't fire. Yeah. And so, but if you want to adjust somebody and that makes them feel better and they like that, then, and you, you know, like you have that holy cow reaction to it, mm -hmm. you know, more power to you if you yeah. want to do that and the patient wants to pay for that and yada, yada. Um, but as long as we're also doing the things that need to be done, which is helping this patient move forward back towards their goals. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, for, for, for people here, you know, who go to chiropractors, they have that mentality where I think maybe they know they're just sort of putting a bandaid on it. You know, they're not really fixing the root of the problem, but you know, nowadays it's, it's, the root is being figured out. The root cause is being tackled within those sessions, you know? So I think, I think it's changing, I guess, you know, from, from all the usual stuff like the back cracking and that sort of thing. Do you think people need to make therapy a regular part of their life or is that, or is that something that no. just should come in with, you know, the, with injury and that kind of thing? Cause I know, I know I went, shoot, I went to therapy just for my shoulder and it felt amazing. And I was sitting here thinking, man, this is like good stuff. I should just go to therapy, you know? So <laughs> that's me and my misunderstanding though. I'm just sitting here like, man, therapy feels great. You know? So, well, yeah, it's, I, <laughs> I struggle with that question. Yeah, um, I know. I'm, I've, I don't even well, know if I asked you a question. I just started talking random shit. <laughs> no, we have, well, we have, we have a bit of a, um, it's a bit of a conversation in the healthcare world of high value care. And, oh, I got you. You know what? What do we consider high value care? Because you know patients are paying premiums for insurance, and yeah. or like when they're coming to me, they're paying a cash rate. Mm -hmm. And you know if they're they're paying that money, they're coming in, and you know for a lot of places, they're getting put on stem, they're getting a heat pack, they're getting another passive therapy, and then they're kind of sent out the door. Yeah, and they feel good, but like. At the end of the day, all you've done is given them some sort of passive therapy that you've modified their symptoms. And, you know, it, I don't know that 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 is not something that I personally would value and spend money on. So sure, we talk about like, what is high value care? Well, value has to be in the eye of the person who's paying for it. Yeah. And I don't personally value that stuff. Okay. My patients don't really personally value that stuff. But like if you're going in there and you're getting and you're like, oh man, that stuff feels great. Yeah. And you don't want to invest the money in a tens unit from Walmart um, or, you know, putting your own hot pack on you want to have the go and do that, then hey, I guess that's high value to you. Yeah. Where it draw where I draw the line in the sand is when we start to tell patients that it is a requirement for health to have that kind of stuff. I see. I don't feel that um, and I don't think we have any evidence to say that if you don't go to therapy, therapy as um, a preventative measure, then you will not be in good health. 
uh, it's you're not going to get injured because you didn't go to therapy. Yeah. And so in that sense, no, I don't think that people should make it a regular part of their life. And I guess you have to define what you mean by therapy in that sense too. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I think people take it and they sort of go, go into it thinking it's going to be like their workout. You know, I think, sure. I think they use it as, as more or less their, their physical activity throughout the day. And they kind of make it their time where they can like feel good with certain types of activity, you know? So, mm-hmm. and I've seen it, in clinics and everything, and it, and it was something that just, it, it struck me. It's like, you know, when, like what you said, when is the line drawn? Where do you, where do you have to stop and sort of do your own thing and like take it into the gym or, or tell yourself, okay, you know, this is, this is not how I'm supposed to view rehab or therapy, you know? Right. So. Right. Yeah. And that, that's an interesting point mm-hmm. is some people do use it as kind of their exercise. And yeah, like I think of my grand my grandmother, mm-hmm. she started going to see a physical therapist. Um, she had an, she had an issue that she was getting taken care of, and she was seeing a physical therapist. And she really liked the physical therapist. Yeah, and she liked doing the strengthening exercises that they had her doing, and she wanted to continue with that. Sure. So he was a good looking guy, her, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Uh, she, she's 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 a southern girl, so <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, she'll be like. <laughs> That's where I'm at. But, <laughs> so she liked going to the physical therapist. She liked how the exercise and everything made her feel, but she did not feel confident doing that at home. Okay. And she, she knows this person, she has a relationship, she has rapport with this person. And, you know, so she decided she wanted to continue going to physical therapy and yeah. paid out of pocket for it to continue doing these strengthening exercises and all this. And this was kind of her workout routine that she was doing. And, you know, we could draw the line in the sand and say, okay, no physical therapist does not do, does not do fitness or, you know, like only, only pain. Yeah. And, but you know, she didn't know of a trainer or coach then she didn't want to have to go and start, you know, form a new relationship with somebody new. She has a person that she likes that she feels is qualified to help her. And, you know, so just as we say, you know, a client working with a trainer, you know, we're blind to say they're not going to ever deal with pain and mm-hmm. that the, you know, that the trainer's never going to have to, you know, navigate that somewhere. A, you know, a physical therapist or a chiro, you know, clinician may have a client who is come, you know, decides to continue with them afterwards because they feel that it is good for their health and their well being. Interesting. And, you know, that's, that's up to that person. Yeah. You know, where the way I think of, um, how I run my practice personally and how I've chosen to, um, take on my role with my patients is kind of through it, what it's called a situational leadership model. Okay. And where the role that I take is dependent on the needs of my client. How about that? So, if so i can play different roles and so if my client comes in um we're thinking we can think of how much competence do they have to take care of themselves to take care of this issue by themselves and that is a concept of called self-efficacy yeah and then how much motivation and confidence do they have in their ability to um to 
if I give them the skills, mm -hmm. how much confidence and motivation would they have to execute on that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So somebody may have very high motivation and very high confidence, but lack the skill set. And so whenever they come to see me, really, they don't need to be coming in weekly in order to Get do their exercises. To, to do their thing. Yeah. Right. And that that's actually usually the person that I'm seeing. So what I end up doing is I end up writing out a rehab program with certain progression criteria. Yeah. And I give them kind of a system. And then they go and they they execute on that on their own in their own gym you know, or at their house. And then we check in maybe every four weeks or so, whenever we feel like they've made some progress, we have something to talk about and it's ready to change things and take the next step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another person, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, it's okay. all, it's all um, good. Another person may come in lacking the skill skillset, um, but also like kind of lacking the motivation to do it. And they know that yeah. or they don't feel confident in their ability and they're like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna be doing these exercises correctly. They might need to be coming in more frequently and have kind of a little more hands-on coaching one-on-one -on -one okay. in order to get the job done. And both of those people are fine. Other people kind of like, they have the skill set, they have the motivation, they have the confidence, like, but they just want that kind of second check. Yeah. And so we might just do a telehealth call and they kind of tell me what's going on. And I provide a little bit of a, insight and I provide my opinion, but I don't really even draft the rehab program. They go and they, you know, modify their own training. And this might be a coach or another clinician who I'm consulting with. They kind of know what to do and they know how to modify their own stuff. They just kind of want my input on it. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll have some of those consultations as well. Um, but like my role changes based on what the person in front of me needs. And I try to only be as involved as the patient as you need needs to me to be yeah because my ultimate goal is like i want to get people to the point of being able to manage their own health and like not needing me necessarily yeah but i also recognize that not everyone wants to take the time to learn how to write their own training programs and that's, that's a good they don't point. want to take the time to do all this stuff like could i fix a lot of the things around my house yeah do sometimes I just want to call a professional to do it for me anyway? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do, exactly. you know? Yeah. Um, and so like we, as professionals, like we have a job to do and we're playing a role in society and everything. We can play that role too. But if we kind of put ourselves into this box that says, well, if I go to therapy, I, you know, or as the patient, I go to therapy, I'm going to have to be there twice a week because mm -hmm. I have to do all the exercises in the office. And that's mm -hmm. the only option you're ever really given yeah, I think that that's not really appropriate for everyone. No. And especially younger active individuals who have experience with exercise, they have, you know, like this, this is who I'm working with a lot. And this population doesn't necessarily need to be in that, in my office paying me to count their reps for them. Sure. They, this is already a part of their life. They're just literally trying to figure out how to get back to it. And so I'm much more of a consultant for them. Um, and then other times I'm playing more of that kind of classic therapy route. Yeah. And you yeah. give people the option. I see. Yeah. And I, I, I noticed this too. People really need to keep up with the exercises outside of the care they have with you, correct? In order to feel 
like they're getting better? Because I feel like when you were talking about, you know, clients who may have a little bit less motivation, does that seem to be sort of the thing that you have to work on is getting them to do exercises outside of what they do with you? And and does that ever cause a problem? Do they come back at you and say, hey, you know, it, it didn't work. What gives? Is that something that, that happens or is that it, depending on what you tell them and what you can communicate with them there you know they will eventually do at home and by themselves oh yeah i mean it's always a you everything has to be kind of a shared decision and so if i and this is where i think exercise shouldn't be arbitrary Mm -hmm. either yeah so you know where i talked about earlier the specific kind of goal that you're trying to get to and like what I mean, I can go all day on psychology and motivation and what leads people to <laughs> coming into care. But sure. if we, you know, the patient came in for a certain reason, and usually it's not because it hurts, it's because it hurts so bad they can't do something. Oh, and okay. I like that. Like, because, well, one, most people that I've seen have already tried to self manage. Yeah, for a little period of time and have failed at that. And so now that they feel like they need to come in um, or, you know, I always ask if I do get the sense that somebody's kind of on, oh, it just hurts. That's why I'm here. It hurts. I might ask the question, is there a situation that something hurts and you don't see the doctor? I uh, see. So, yeah. It kind of opens so up that, like, that switch. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. if if we make exercise centered around someone's goals Mm -hmm. and help push, like it's much easier to see why we are doing it. And it's much easier to kind of, I guess, get that adherence to it because it's, you know, there's a direct link to what they want to be able to do. Now I will also say not every client you know, is even, even has an exercise program to begin with. Like, you know, we live in a society where 25% of people meet the physical activity guidelines. Sure. So the grand majority of people are not necessarily even having a routine exercise program. And in that sense, I, you know, I think people that have an exercise problem are the Mm -hmm. people that are going to have better outcomes with an exercise intervention. Yeah. True. The people that don't have an exercise problem are probably not, you know, they may not have as good of an outcome with exercise because it's not really exercise that is the intervention in the first place. It is the gradual application of stress and proper load management onto your body. And exercise is just a vehicle to get that there. But so if we have, you know, we have a, 25 year old college student who's getting knee pain when she lunges then you know some lunge modifications and a gradual ramping up of that load is probably going to give her a good outcome yeah but if we take the you know overstressed underslept mom of three who is getting (laughs) some shoulder pain lifting her kid yeah you know i don't know that our favorite you know bottoms up kettlebell press is going to be the The thing that all of a sudden fixes her it's probably going to be much better for us to say, okay, how about, you know, how can we manage stress a little better? How can, mm-hmm. you know, we, maybe how do we even change your mechanics of how you're picking up your kid, keep them in a little, get, keep that arm in a little bit closer right now so that that pain isn't as intense. We can calm that down. 
Yeah. And like, it's not exercise necessarily, um, but it is load management. Now we might throw some lateral raises in on top of that too. And it might be very useful, but it probably wasn't like we got her shoulder stronger, which is the reason that her pain ultimately resolves. It's probably a much more a combination of time and good load management to the system. And it's, and it's the idea of the stress management aspect. That's something that just doing exercise in general needs to be all about, you know, whenever somebody takes on a new plan or wants to make a significant change with their body weight or something, it, it is entirely based on what can you implement into your life that is reasonable and adaptable, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so it's cool. It's just, just implementing therapy from that aspect and, and having that goal in mind, just ultimate stress relief, you know, and exactly what you said, you know, it's, it's different for that, that, you know, 25 year old girl who's got the knee pain, you know, you find the thing that is optimistic that you can sort of optimistically introduce into, into her working out. That's like, no, you don't need to stop what you're doing. Just do it a little differently, you know? So, yeah, I just, I think the idea of having everything be stress-free is sort of the solution to anything, you know, rehab problems to personal training in general. So, yeah, it's, it's just finding, it's finding the right stimulus to get the adaptation that you're after. Yeah. With, with fitness, we, we know that if you don't stress the system at all, you will never improve your tolerance to stress, Mm -hmm. right? And this is an across the board situation. If it can be, you know, if if you want to squat 200 pounds, you eventually have to break past 100 because it's not going to magically just appear one day that you can walk in there. Yeah. You are going to have to eventually do 105, 110, 115, et cetera. You have to stress the system. Practice makes perfect. If you want to improve... yeah, if yeah. you want to improve your cardio, you know, you want to run a 5K or a marathon, you got to get out there and you have to run and you have to do it in a gradual dosage based on the baseline which you currently have. Sure. Now also, if we take somebody, you know, and throw them um just say a, a psychologically stressful work environment and yeah. they've they're fresh out of school and they've never been in that environment before and like it's not in their genetic code to handle stressful environments very well. Mm-hmm. We may overwhelm that person very quickly because they're in this super fast paced, like large change to their environment that they have not adapted to. And they may feel very overwhelmed, not be able to cope with that. Mm. And they may feel, you know, a large degree of burnout very quickly. However, if we were to take that person and gradually introduce more and more tasks mm-hmm. into their workload, we could take them and gradually build up their ability to withstand that that very stressful, hectic environment. Yeah, you know, so it happens kind of across the board, and pain's very similar. It's you just have to view it as okay, the body's gotten overloaded mm-hmm. and it's extremely stressful right now, so it's sensitive. Yeah. And so coming back to the um, example of the person in the office there. If there are five other stressful events in this person's life and they're kind of walking into that environment feeling a little overwhelmed. Yeah. And then you throw that on top of them. Like, oh, how do you think that's going to go? Oh, they're right? going to collapse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so with pain, this is where, you know, pain is an experience. It is not just a physical sensation. Yeah. There is, it's a whole you know, experience that impacts our life. 
It's true. And, you know, an example that I give to a lot of my patients is I'll ask them, you know, if you um, were going down the road and you got a flat tire, mm-hmm. you know, it's none of us like that. It's always a an unpleasant experience, right? How would that feel if it was a bright, sunny day outside versus if it was pouring rain? Yeah. Like, what? Isn't yeah. That, like the <laughs> emotional response is going to be different. Yeah. That's true. I, I, and so when you go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Um, and so whenever you have pain and the less we can re- the more we can reduce that burden and the less impact we can f- make it feel like it has on your life, mm-hmm. the less we, the less we feel like the overall pain experience is that bad. And so we are making improvements in pain mm-hmm. in that sense. And there's a whole like there's a whole neurological side of this thing that that can actually impact the physical sensation, which you feel as well. Wow. You know, but if we feel like this pain is terrible and it's taking everything away from me, there's an emotional aspect to that. There's a psychological aspect to that. There's anxiety and fear that comes into that of thinking about our future and what that means for us. True. And so we try to reduce all these things. Um, and so we kind of, we have to look at it from multiple points and I totally forgot where we even started with, with me going on that. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Um, no, I, I, I did want to ask you this though, because you, yeah. you bring the thing about it. I think, do, do you find that people have implemented an already overly aggressive workout plan into their life and the task that becomes a difficult thing for you to do is try to pull them out of that because I, this is more of like a personal training question. When, when I've talked to people before, they are insistent on going down this almost overly painful path to exercise because they're, they're, they're thinking, okay, I I can't, you know, if I'm going to lose weight, I can't eat, I can't eat calories, right? If I'm going to lose weight, Mm -hmm. I got to do a crap ton of cardio and I find that it's a very difficult process to psychologically work them through the idea of not doing that as opposed to doing that. Is is that yeah. a, a bigger hurdle, do you think? It certainly can be. Okay. Yeah. And this is what, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, we live in a society where I said like 25% of people meet the physical activity guidelines, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I think that gets all the press more often than not, which is like, how do we get people to exercise? How do we get people, you know, any, any activity is good activity Mm -hmm. and yada, yada. And in the healthcare world and kind of dealing with behaviors towards pain, the thing that gets all the press is like people have pain and then they kind of withdraw and pull back from all the activities that are meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole, there is another side of that, which is there are people that take on a behavior pattern where they try to persist yep. through pain yep, because they don't want to give up on their training goals and their fitness goals. Yes. And oh, totally. they do push and essentially what happens is they repetitively irritate themselves and never let anything calm down. Yep. And, you know, there's... So I, I deal with I deal with that a lot and I see that a lot and it doesn't get talked about nearly enough. No. That you know, not everyone who deal not everyone who deals with chronic pain is, you know, depressed and fearful and anxious. A lot of people have 
you know, certain motivations that they don't want to let go of and, or they don't necessarily have the skill set to pull back and understand that, Hey, you know what? I can reach my fitness goals without irritating my pain. And just like, so like with training, the, I think a lot of people don't understand that they can reach fitness goals with a less extreme approach Yeah, or that, you know, adherence and long-term, you know, long-term it's going to be better if you kind of implement this into your life and you don't kind of try and go zero to 60 and get there in 30 days. Yeah, You need to think about, you know, what's your first step and then the second step and the third step to the point that eventually like you're a snowball going down a hill and you can't be stopped by a week off, you know? That's true. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's important, just like what you said, scaling back, you know, doing an easier version of it. That's, that's what it needs to be now with fitness. And problem is it's, it, it can't really be marketed. You know, I don't, that's the, that's the tough thing. It's hard to listen to that and then go, oh yeah, that's, that's what I got to do. I have to work less. I, I can't work as hard. And I think that's a bigger problem with dieting too. When it go, when you go down that path, you know, you go down intermittent yeah. fasting and keto and people don't think that they have to eat more and that they're not fueling their life or fueling their rehab, you know? I think this is just like, as so much of it for me is like, how do we, how, how, all right, let's not put the blame on our clients, right? Like yeah. what, what role can we do? What can we change about the way that we send this, send this message? So true. because if, if someone's not getting our message, then maybe we need to change how we're putting it out there because it's, you know, we all live in this society. There are messages Mm -hmm. that go on in our society, which is fast, quick, look the way you want to look, you know, be stronger, Mm -hmm. you know, within, you know, 30 day challenges, all this stuff. Big time. So if we're going to get our message across, how, what do we do? How can we get that message across better? And, you know, so saying pull back, do less, I don't think that's a good way to approach it. Yeah. Maybe we need to say you don't have to suffer so much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, Hey, there's a way to do, there's a way to do this and not suffer as much. There's a train smarter, not train less train smarter. Um, And I think telling them that, that like there's a way to do it without suffering is a very blunt, real way to put it to them, Uh, you know, and something I've, I've definitely had to learn and understand. and, And you're right. It's, it's about, what we say to them and how we communicate to them what it is that they need to do, you know, simplicity right. over, over all this other stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think we also have to make sure that we send the message that saying smarter and suffer less doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult mm-hmm. because like, True. I mean, I can make, I'll make rehab really challenging for you and also make it not hurt all that much. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a guy, who came in, he had some shoulder pain and his bodybuilding coach had basically told him just keep pushing through it, keep pushing through it. No pain, no gain. If you don't feel pain, that <laughs> sure. means the muscle's not growing. Uh, and I was like, wait a minute, mm. where is it 2020? Like <laughs> that, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but he's been dealing, he's been dealing with shoulder pain for nine months. Oh my and gosh. And he's, and he's telling me about how like he just pushes through the pain and tries to ignore it and it eventually gets so bad short because he can't do bicep curls because his shoulder hurts so bad by the end of the workout 
but he's continued to just persist through it for nine months doing it this way because someone has told him this is what is important for your goals. And like, you're not going to get your fitness goals if you do it this way. And so, you know, I'm first like kind of taken aback by it, like, mm-hmm. wow. But then I have to understand like this guy has motivations. He wants to reach these fitness goals. And for him being pain-free is less important than reaching his fitness goals. His fitness so therefore goals, yeah. he chooses, therefore he chooses you know, to push into pain and to accept pain. Sure. But that has had some consequences as well. And yeah. so here we are, here we are now. And we're like, we're trying to essentially, you know, have our cake and eat it too almost because I have to understand as his clinician that this is where his motivations are. And if I tell him do less, pull back, you need easy workouts you have to let this rest. It's it's gonna go against that <sighs> that motivation yeah, that, and yeah, I'm pushing yeah. against his personal motivations. Yeah. And so, where are we gonna run into adherence problems? Well, probably oh. right there. And <laughs> right when you bring that up, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, so, or he might agree with me because we're in the room together, and he doesn't want to let me down, you know. But then, yeah, two uh. weeks later, I see him again. How's that? How's that? Oh well, I kind of that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and then we blame the patient um, oh, for go. not adhere for being non-compliant to our program. Well, maybe I should have actually developed a program that was more in line with his personal motivations and more in line with his psychology and behavioral patterns. Yeah. And so I could put it, I try and figure out what can I do better. And so, you know, we, we make a couple modifications to the way he's doing his bench presses and find uh, make a couple modifications to the way he's doing some lateral raises and I had him, was like, I updated him on like current evidence around hypertrophy. I was like, no, like you can get hypertrophy going all the way up to, you know, reps of 30 as long as you're going close to failure. Yep. So, you know, we can drop that weight to five, 10 pounds in those lateral raises. You don't have to do the 20s and be hitting 12 reps. Oh, and that's, so, that's awesome. Really, that's that's a great piece of advice. I mean, truly, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. And so it worked for him yeah. because like he's obviously okay with pain, right? And like sets of 30 suck. Yeah. So we dropped the reps down to 10. It, his shoulder doesn't hurt with it anymore. And he we rep him all the way out to failure. And sure. like he's like, oh my goodness gracious, like my crazy belt it. pump. And my shoulders actually don't, like it's not that anterior shoulder pain, sharp pain that I normally feel. It's like muscle burn that I wanted. Wow. And we're getting something out of it. So I'm kind of getting what I want, which is, you know, we are offloading a certain part of the structure, but we're also working him towards him his goals. Forward. Yeah, exactly. And so for him, he needs load management. That is his strategy. But load management doesn't necessarily mean less or easier. It might just mean different. Wow. And that's a concept that can be applied to anybody looking to progress with with muscle building you know taking a look at the different aspects of loading and you know if they've spent so much time doing heavy weight low reps it's needing to change that up is always going to be the solution you know your body will end up adapting and you always have to give it a different stimulus at some point so yeah i I mean yeah it's it's and then i'm sure i'm sure that's that's a thing that maybe bodybuilders struggle with is you know you've got this goal you're working towards but you don't necessarily know how to approach your injuries and and push yourself 
towards the goal at the same time. So it's right. it it brings it brings to mind so many different ways you can you can scale back, you know, a very real muscle building workout, but at the same time not feel pain and and, yeah. and feel good while you do it, you know. So yeah, and this and if you like, this is where I think if we really understand the evidence around, like, yes. all right, strength and hypertrophy mm-hmm. and all, like, all right, what are my options? And we recognize that. Strength does not just mean a 5RM or greater. Yeah. Like it could be down near like an eight rep max or a 10 rep max, and you can still get stronger there too and work your way forward. Hypertrophy can be anything from five to 30 reps. And it's really just about getting yourself pretty close to failure. Fatiguing that muscle. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've opened up this like world of options and you recognize that like, oh, you know what? It doesn't have to be squats. It can be split squats. It can be leg extensions. It can be belt squats. It can be like, yeah. when you start to view movement purely as a vector for load onto the system, and then you view the intensity of that you're applying as the stimulus Mm -hmm. and the volume as just the magnitude Mm -hmm. of that stimulus, then it's like, okay, well, now I just need to pick something that kind of like fits my current like physiology. My current situation interesting and if whenever you give yourself so many options picking the right one or picking one that mm-hmm. is appropriate i think it actually becomes easier um rather than viewing it as i have pain so that means i have to stop doing this and i need to go over here and do these kind of low level yeah light exercises that are sold as like correcting stability whatever the heck that means oh i get what you're saying yeah i get it it's it's but, so you have to sit there and then start thinking about all these other like quote unquote corrective exercises that you have to throw in there as well. So it complicates things. So rather, well, yeah. I'm saying that we don't need to do all that. Like I don't think we need to go to you know yeah. It, for a lot of people, we don't need to we don't need to think of them as corrective exercises because what are they mm-hmm. correcting? Like, yeah. A lot of the things that we're sold on correcting are things that were made up so we had something to correct. Wow. Yeah, you're it's, right. It's force. It's force on the system. You're so right. I was telling a guy. I was having a conversation with another clinician the other day, and he was asking me about um, my opinion on like postural exercises. So, mm-hmm. like having a patient like sit up and then like pull and squeeze their shoulder blades back as a way as kind of a postural corrective. And mm-hmm. I'm not big on posture, posture, and a lot of the narratives around that and stuff. And so I was telling him, I was like, well, a seated scap retraction is simply a row mm-hmm. without gravity or weight yeah if you then have them lay down prone you add gravity put a weight in their hand and it's a row and they're just points on a spectrum and when you start to view them like that you can then start to reason through them the same way that you would reason through saying why would i use 200 pounds versus 100 pounds they're just more more load less load when is more load appropriate when is less load appropriate um rather than trying to view the exercise as having some sort of corrective aspect to it that only it can do oh i yeah so it's you're you're looking at a different part of it you're kind of you're focusing you talk about the load management and that's that's the the little missing ingredient to all this is that people don't think Mm -hmm. about the load loading principles so yeah. it's it's really focusing in on that and not thinking about the movement as something like a magical 
fix. It's yeah. it's it's really about the loading. Oh, that's load is a way to provide force amazing. to the body. Yeah, different move. You know, different movements stress at the cellular level stress things a little bit differently, and so wow. you might find that you know one movement is a little more um, palatable than others, and you go with that. And you know, and it might. Or, you know, you might have less expectation of pain with one movement over another movement. Sure. You might, you know, believe that one movement is going to help you more than another movement and all these things play into it. Man, and that, that's cutting edge stuff. I, God, that's that's so cool. And it's so it's so simple and it makes perfect sense, though. <laughs> so it does. When you talk about the loading, it's like it's like a light bulb. You know, people automatically people can do so many different things. They, it just opens up a wide variety of things they can try if they approach yeah. it from that perspective. When so. you are dealing with something as complex mm-hmm. as the human body mm-hmm. with so many moving parts, I think it is very arrogant for us to assume that we are going to be able to control all of them. Um, yeah. And so a simple approach kind of, need you know the more complex the system gets the more simple your approach then almost needs to become sure because when you start to make a lot of assumptions about what you're doing and trying to like control all the pieces if any one of those factors doesn't go according to plan then while well, your your plans kind of the whole system you know, breaks down it, yeah it just kind of breaks down yeah so i mean my thought is use the evidence in front of you mm. and you don't make assumptions. Yep. If you can't do a certain movement and that hurts, you know it's stressing certain things. So try your first line should be to just reduce the magnitude of you know the stress that you're putting on the system, but not necessarily change the um, distribution of that stress. So don't change them. Try not to change the movement. Try to change the magnitude, and so that would be changing the volume it. and intensity. I love it. If you can't, you know, if you make it all the way down to what we consider to be like a minimal load, mm-hmm. then try to maybe change an, an aspect of the movement, but keeping the movement, you know, maybe change your, if it's a squat, for example, change your range of motion or change your knee position yeah. or elevate your heels or something. And, you know, then you've made minimal changes. Now you can figure out kind of what load is tolerable there. If yeah. you can't do that, then maybe pick a different exercise that is stressing similar stuff and figure out maybe what you can do there. Um, and that's kind of how like my, my headspace goes with all this is stay as close to the person's goal activity as possible. Sure. Um, because it gives you the most direct path back to their normal life. Yeah. And we're not making a lot of assumptions along the way as to what we're doing and what's working. We're just simply taking what's in front of us saying you tolerate this, you can't tolerate this. So I can figure out where the path back to normal, you know, should, it should look like. Yeah. Um, You're offering freedom through rehab almost. You're giving it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like it, it's, it's, you're just, you're just kind of opening a door to, you know, a wide variety of things they could try. Like I, like I said, right. You know, so yeah, Man, that's awesome. Well, hey, man, I I think we're good. I don't want to keep you too long. So okay. I know I know I used up a lot of your time already. So no, no, this is this is fun. This is like I said, I love podcasts. This is the that's fun amazing. stuff because, you know, like we were talking about at the beginning, mm-hmm. 
this is why I've kind of shifted towards talking more about thought process is yeah. because this conversation right here is something you can't just get on a short form social media type of platform. Yeah. Um, we need, we need explanation. We need to kind of dig into it. Um, yeah. The psychological aspect is missing. It. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, it's so needed, especially now, because I think, man, you know, my big thing is just helping trainers and everything and people understand, you know, the, a very simplistic view of fitness and, and trying to bring all this information together so people can kind of follow that path. And yeah, I, I, I'm realizing that, that the psychological ingredient is changes the game for how people can effectively approach something they create for themselves. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, I'm using a lot of big words to sound smart. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> so.